there are a number of things which join us as Americans, one of which is a pledge. Now, the Pledge of Allegiance was written in August 1892 by Minister Francis Bellamy, and it was published in the Youth's Companion on September 8, 1892. In its original form, the pledge read, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation in, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. In 1923, the words, the flag of the United States of America were added, and this time it read, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the, of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And then in 1954, in response to the communist threat of the times, President Eisenhower encouraged Congress to add the words under God, creating the 31-word pledge we say today. Section 4 of the United States Flag Code states, The Pledge of Allegiance to the flag should be rendered by standing at attention, facing the flag with the right hand over the heart, when not in uniform, men should remove any non-religious headdress with their right hand and hold it at the left shoulder, the hand being over the heart. Persons in uniform should remain silent, face the flag, and render the military salute. Now, we've already said it, but in honor of this 247th anniversary of our Declaration of Independence on Tuesday, would you stand and would you say this pledge again with me? Would you stand? Attention, salute, pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. You may be seated. A pledge, a statement, a commitment to honor the country in which we live, a commitment to be one nation under God. Now, we pause, don't we, when we say one nation under God, indivisible. But that's not how the pledge is written. You see how it's written on the screen? You see how, now let's say it only where the commas are. Let's keep going, ready? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's the way it's written. You see, one nation under God. Not one nation under God. One nation under God. That's the next thing that can bind us together as Americans. Our faith in God. From our founding, our ancestors knew that we would be our strongest and our greatest when we were one nation under God. I'm reading some books Brother Joel gave me, and it's amazing to see the hand of God at work in the, founding of, uh, uh, in the formation of our country. One nation under God means we as a nation honor God and recognize Him for the blessings of liberty. And when we fail in this most important endeavor, everything else suffers. I believe this is why we are becoming weaker as a nation, because we're not keeping the commitment to our pledge. We are forgetting the faith in God which formed the foundation. 
for this great nation, the foundation of the United States of America. Today it is apparent that we're not indivisible any longer. We're a divided nation because we have rejected the rule of God over us as a whole. We must get back to teaching our children about God. Parents, you cannot any longer rely upon the institutions in our nation to teach your children about faith in God. They will not hear it from political institutions. They will not hear it from entertainment institutions. They will not hear it in school unless they're in a Christian school like Calvary, our Calvary Christian School. America's parents' faith must start teaching their children the importance of honoring God. And may I say, part of that is bringing your children to church to worship God. Now, how can you show, folks, how can we show our children or grandchildren that God is important when His church is not important to us? We can't. Even if you're watching by live stream, and I'm grateful for that. While you're watching, parents, what are your children doing? I believe if we're going to have the continued blessings of God, America needs to get back to the Bible and back to the church house. Because those things require faith and commitment to God, and those two things display honor for the rule of God. If God tells me to go to church and worship God, then I need to go to church and worship God. Now, I can't always be here, and some people cannot get out of the house, and it, or rarely do. I got it. I understand that. But we need to start asking ourselves how much of our time and how much of our effort actually displays our faith and commitment to God. In the kingdom of Christ on earth, this whole world will be filled with the knowledge of God. This whole world, this whole earth will be full filled with the rule of Christ, and everyone will walk in His way. There will not be any dishonor of God when King Jesus returns and sets His throne on this planet, for He will remove every appearance of evil from this earth. For 1,000 years we will have the kind of rule which we need today, the kingdom rule of Christ. It's only through faith in Christ Jesus that we find our greatest freedom, freedom from the fear of tomorrow and eternity. We find true freedom when we love Jesus and pledge our lives and eternities to Him and His kingdom rule. Do I believe America can turn back to God? Yes! I have spent my life trying to turn my country back to God. I have preached thousands of sermons to encourage people to turn their hearts to the Lord. And today I still do it. I'm standing here today on July the 2nd, 2023, thinking about my great nation and her founding, and once again I'm preaching and saying, turn back to God. That's where our greatness is, America. Amen? And so today, this is where I want to pick up in our study of the kingdom. We're almost finished with the book of the Revelation. And Today we're going to study the kingdom again as we continue our series, Pray So Grow. And today we're looking at kingdom rule. Revelation 20, if you have your Bible, stand with me and let's honor the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to just start reading in verse 7. Well, let's start reading at the beginning of chapter uh, 20. And we'll set the stage here. 
John said, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went upon the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. What is the beloved city? Jerusalem. It's where Jesus is sitting, on his throne. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where, he, the, where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the death and hell and death and Hades or hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Personal judgment. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life is cast to the lake of fire. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the excitement that we have when we worship your holy name. Thank you. I'm excited about this word today, Lord. I'm excited for those who do not know you, for those who have rejected you and who want to live a wicked lifestyle and embrace evil. They've got a lot of reason to be afraid today when we look at this passage. But for those who love Jesus, who serve Him, whose hearts are pure, who are ready to meet you, Lord, we have nothing but joy, nothing but hope and, and, uh, and peace ahead of us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for this passage. For it shows us, Lord, that as long as we're with you, we have nothing to fear. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Pray so grow kingdom rule. Now in our last study of the kingdom, we saw the return of Christ and his kingdom rule for a thousand years. That's a millennium. So we call it the millennial reign of Christ. Now a thousand years is a long time. America is a young nation. Some civilizations, some nations are more than a thousand years old. But America is a young nation. It's only been 403 years since the pilgrims landed at Plymouth. It's only been 247 years since the signing of the Declaration of Independence. A thousand years is a long time for a kingdom to have peace, but not long enough. The plan of God for this earth is a permanent restoration. A kingdom inhabited by His people, enjoying the blessing of His presence forever. That's God's plan for earth. Now we see this 
in the pictures of the kingdom we have in the Bible. We've looked at those. In the kingdom, of, there is peace. There's a, the kingdom rule of Christ, when he establishes his millennial kingdom on earth and sits on the throne in Jerusalem, is a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of love, of joy, of patience. It's a kingdom where there's no crime, no sin, for the source of temptation has been removed. It is earth as God created it to be in the beginning. The people in the first part of the Bible... They lived to be a long time. They lived a long time. Adam lived to be 930 years old. Those of us who come back with Jesus will have supernatural, glorified bodies that will never get sick or die again. When we come with Jesus and He's coming into clouds of glory, and we're the armies that are following Him, we're not going to have flesh and blood bodies that can deteriorate and all of that. We're going to listen. We're going to have these glorified bodies like Jesus. Supernatural bodies. Now those who are born during the millennial reign of Christ, during that kingdom age, they're going to have physical bodies. They are susceptible to accidents, even death. I believe it's going to be very rare. All of the diseases that we know today, they're going to be eradicated. We're not going to have to worry about people getting sick because the great physician will be in charge on the throne. However, we should remember that when Jesus returns to earth and sets his throne in Jerusalem, the earth is not going to be instantly transformed. The seven years of great tribulation will have caused incredible devastation to the earth. Just think about it for a minute. The nuclear war in itself has just turned everything into a shambles. When Jesus comes again, it's not like he's rebuilding everything and it's just zip. And it's up again. No, the earth is devastated. And there's going to be a whole lot of rebuilding that has to be done as the kingdom age opens. Men and women working together to rebuild the earth, to rebuild the cities, to the nations, to rebuild the schools, to rebuild the churches, to rebuild the government buildings. Today, we as a church are emphasizing the need to sow kingdom seeds, to let others see and hear our faith. In the coming kingdom. Today we're sharing the good news of Jesus. Well, guess what? During the kingdom age, we're still going to be sharing the good news. We're going to be talking about Jesus constantly because there's going to be a need for people to hear that Jesus is ruling and reigning. They're going to, listen, when you come back with Jesus, you're going to have some firsthand information about heaven. You're going to be able to talk to the people on this earth about what it was like in heaven, what it was like, what it was like in the presence of the angels. Jesus coming, His return will be powerful and instantaneous, but the rebuilding and re-educating of people on earth as to the kingdom rule of Christ, that is still going to be ongoing. That's going to be our privilege and our responsibility. In Revelation 5, John said he heard the song of the raptured in heaven. Listen to this. Let's read it together. And they sang a new song saying... You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign where? On the earth. That's right. The church, those who truly love and serve Jesus, when we come back with Jesus... We are going to rule and reign on the earth. We are going to be in charge of this earth. 
We will be in charge of the cities and nations of this earth. That's not going on today, is it, folks? It seems like the most corrupt and evil people in the world are gaining leadership all over the earth. But I'm going to tell you something. When, it, when Jesus comes, all that's going to change. All this, hey, there's not going to be any elections in the kingdom. It's not going to be a democracy in the kingdom. It's going to be a theocracy. As Jesus, the King of kings, rules over this earth. And He uses His glorified saints to make sure every nation on earth is bringing honor to Him. I don't know exactly what that government's going to look like. I don't know what the kingdom government's going to exactly be. But from the Scriptures, we can learn some truths about the kingdom. First, let's look at some kingdom truths. First of all, let's see what we've got. Let's read it together. The kingdom rule of Christ will be a time of reward for the faithful. Do you feel like sometimes that you get the short end of the stick all the time? Do you feel like that you are the most unlucky person in the world? Listen, times are tough for everybody and we all go through life and we have ups and downs and sometimes we feel like life's not even worth living. But I want to tell you there's coming a day when your reward will be given to you for your faithfulness. And you wonder maybe sometime, well, why should, uh, listen, nobody, why do I get up and go to church? What, why should I spend time on Wednesday night singing in the choir? Why should I take time to play my instruments for, for church? Why do, I do, why do I go down in the kitchen and help people eat? Why, why, why do I clean up? Why do I do these things? Why do, why do I serve God? Nobody else seems to be doing it. I'll tell you why. Because there's a reward coming for you if you do. And if you don't, you're not going to get it. So we have to serve the Lord now. We have to let Jesus, remember what Paul said, let, let Christ rule in your hearts now. So that when the kingdom comes, you'll just be doing the same thing. You'll just be letting Jesus rule in your life and you will be rewarded. In Luke 19, Jesus spoke of how faithfulness now will be rewarded in His future kingdom. Let's look at it together. I've got it on the screen for you. Therefore, Jesus said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now, Jesus is telling a parable. It's a parable to people because they thought the kingdom of God ought to come right then. See, when Jesus came, they thought that the kingdom age ought to start right then. And Jesus told them a story to help them understand that he didn't come to take over the world right then, you see. He came to give his life, a ransom for all. So, Jesus said, so a certain, here's the story, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return as the king, you see. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come with the minas. It's like money. The, the nobleman gave them money, gave them money, gave them each money, and said, now go do something with my money while I'm away. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received his kingdom, he commanded these servants to whom he had given money 
to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Now, he's the king now, you see. And then came the first servant, and he said, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten, over ten what? What's that say? Ten cities. And likewise, he said to the other one, you have, you also be over five cities. Now, in this kingdom parable, Jesus is the nobleman who went away to return with the kingdom as a king. And his servants are those who claim to follow him, and the minas are his treasures. For us, that means the good news of his kingdom return. That's a treasure. When Jesus returns, we will be judged for our faithfulness to him while he was away. To the, for the, the way you used what God has given you, what Jesus has given you to use for his glory and his honor. That, do you understand that we're going to be judged when we decide to be stingy with God? Do you, not, do you understand that? When we decide we're not going to give our tithes and offerings to the church because I need to go out and eat pizza. Or I've got something better to do. Or more important to do than to support the work of God's of God's work at His church. i got something better to do. i got something more important to do than to get myself dressed and go worship together with God's people. I have something more important to do than to tell my neighbor, than to reach out my hand and offer Christian love and grace to my neighbor. I've got something better to do than to offer the love and forgiveness of Jesus to someone. I've got something better to do than that. Well, that's the unfaithful servant. You understand? That's the unfaithful servant. And we are going to give account for our faithfulness as well as our unfaithfulness. We are. And so we will be judged for our faithfulness to him while he is, a, while he is away. He's away right now. His presence is here. His spirit is here. But King Jesus is not here in bodily form. So we're going to be judged with what we're doing with what he's entrusted to us. Our faithfulness to sow his kingdom seeds, to share the gospel and help others find his kingdom. Those who are faithful now will have positions of leadership in his kingdom, ruler over cities. King Jesus will be in charge and will appoint his people to positions where we will lead others to know and follow his kingdom rule. But for those who refuse to follow Jesus... They will be judged and sentenced at the very beginning of the kingdom rule of Christ. Luke 19, Jesus went on to say, For I say to you that everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who said, We don't want you to rule over us, who did not want me to reign over them, and slay them before me. So it appears that the kingdom not only brings rewards for God's faithful people, but also, secondly, the kingdom rule of Christ will be a time of retribution for the faithless. Now again, we see the pictures Jesus gave us of his kingdom. Matthew 25. 
Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Now once again, we see the kingdom age beginning with judgment, with King Jesus exercising His authority. Remember how John described Jesus as the returning king of vengeance. Remember in Revelation 19.15 when we looked at the coming of Jesus. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike, strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Who is Jesus going to rule with a rod of iron? Well, it's not going to be the Antichrist and his army because they will all be destroyed in the valley of Megiddo when the blood rises to the horses' bridles. It's not going to be the saints who return to Jesus because we have already pledged our allegiance to Jesus. We've died and gone on to heaven and our bodies are now glorified and we are, uh, we are uh, resistant to all of temptation or evil or anything else and we don't have an impure thought in our minds and we won't even dare entertain such a thing. We cannot be separated from Jesus so He's not going to rule us with a rod of iron. We're willingly joined to Him, obedient to Him. What it looks like is that when the kingdom rule of Christ begins, there's still some more cleanup to do. The Antichrist did a lot of damage during his seven years, and Jesus cleaned it up. And we're part of the cleanup. I don't know how long it's going to take to get rid of, this, of every bit of filth in this world and get rid of every faithless person, but it's going to happen because Jesus is going to bring vengeance upon the faithless and unbelieving. Look again, Matthew 20. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. In other words, you didn't honor me at all with your life. Well, they will answer him saying, Well, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And Jesus will say to them, Jesus the King, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Friends, there's always a choice to be made when it comes to Jesus, and everyone must make that choice. The easiest choice is now, today. Follow Jesus. Obey Jesus. Accept the kingdom rule of Jesus in your life today. Today in the land of the free where we can hear about Jesus and talk about Jesus and worship Jesus and follow Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus now, you will miss the rapture and then you'll have to face seven years, the wrath of the most evil dictator who's ever lived. And if you make it through the great tribulation without dying, you'll still face the wrath of the Son of God who separates the sheep from the goats and sentences the wicked to eternal punishment in hell. There's no way to leave Jesus out and get by with it. 
People are trying to do that today, but you're not. They are not going to get by with it. There's no faithless person is going to inherit the kingdom, but instead will be banished from it. But for those who love Jesus now and remain faithful to Him, the kingdom means 1,000 glorious years in the presence of our Savior, King Jesus. His rule will be universal as all who live on this earth will honor Him and worship Him and will have a part in leading people to worship Jesus, our Savior. Psalm 72 gives us a, a picture. Notice this picture. This is beautiful. I've got it on the screen for you. In His days, talking about the kingdom reign of Christ, in his days the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. <laughs> he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. What does that last sentence say? Read it with me. All nations shall serve him. Is that happening today, folks? Is it happening today? No. But it will. The Antichrist had seven years of rule under Satan's power. And as we, as we saw, it was a horrible age of evil, war, and death. But when Jesus returns, his, his rule will be 1,000 years, a kingdom of peace and love and righteousness. It will almost be heaven on earth for 1,000 years. But then the pit is open, and that old devil, Satan, is released. Did he learn anything from his 1,000 years in the pit? Did he learn anything from being in chains. Did that teach him anything? Did he change his ways? Let's see verses 7 through 9, chapter 20. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as of the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city Jerusalem. One thing we learn here is that during the millennial rule of Christ, there will be nations. And as I said er earlier, earth will have its nations and it'll have its governments, but the governments will be led by the people of God. We also see Jesus ruling in the beloved city, Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is called the camp of the saints or the capital of the city. Folks, don't you know what, what a day that's going to be? We could go to Jerusalem and see Jesus. I mean, but we're going to see Him in heaven, aren't we? Don't you see, once we leave this world, if you're following Jesus, you've got nothing glory waiting for you. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And Jerusalem is called the camp of the saints, or the capital of the kingdom. And God's people are there. The doors are not shut. The gates are always open. Jesus is accessible. King of kings and Lord of lords. And finally, we see is still as evil as ever, maybe even angry. And he unleashes his temptation on a world that's never known it. Remember this, the, that people during the millennial reign of Christ on earth, they've been under his rule. They have never known one moment of evil on the earth. So what happens when Satan tempts mankind? 
The same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. Gave in to Satan's temptation and rebelled against God. Even after 1,000 years of peace and blessing and the earthly rule of Jesus, millions march against Jesus. Notice what John said. The number is as of the sand of the sea. How sad that after Jesus is reigning and the world is glorious, man chooses evil over good again. Oh, it's only too true what, what God said, that the heart of man is desperately wicked. It's corrupt, corrupted by sin, contaminated. The first time Satan tempted man, the whole world was plunged into sin and separated from God. This time, with Jesus in charge, it'll be different. The first man, Adam, fell to Satan in sin. The last man, Jesus, purges sin and Satan from the world and remains victorious as King of kings and Lord of lords. Notice what happened. So they compassed around the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And man, it was a big fire too. The devil who deceived those millions of people was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophets are. And they will not be tormented a thousand years in the pit, but they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. We're finally rid of him. Hallelujah. What a scene. And you and I who follow Jesus now, we'll see it. We'll be part of it. We will be witnesses to this terrible day when Satan turns the world one more time against Jesus. But unlike the first time, we'll see that this time will be the last time that he ever does that. In a short time, for Jesus will put a stop to his rebellion very quickly. I don't know how many people will follow the devil during that uprising, but I certainly know how many evil people are going to be destroyed, all of them. And that sets the stage for the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. Verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. The final rebellion marks the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Mankind, part of the first creation of God, had the opportunity to be a people living in the presence and the, the blessing of God in the beginning, but mankind failed God in his purpose, and that's why Jesus had to come the first time. The only way sinful man could be forgiven and redeemed was through the sacrificial death of Jesus, through the holy blood of the Son of God. Jesus suffered, bled, and died on the cross as payment for our sins. He died as punishment that we deserved so that we could be set free from the penalty of eternal death that we all were facing. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, whoever will receive him by faith can have eternal life and be part of his glorious kingdom. But those who reject Jesus, 
reject His rule over their lives, whether now or in the future, will stand before His great white throne of judgment. They were, in, listen, right now people who have died without Christ are in hell right now, being punished for their rejection of Jesus. But hell will deliver its dead to be judged before the eternal judging king. And notice that when Jesus the righteous judges these sinners, it's according to their works. The books containing their life deeds are open because they have no faith. Those who receive Jesus as Savior have no sin for which to be judged because our sins were judged on the cross and paid for. You're never going to have to stand before Jesus and have your sins revealed because they're all washed away by the blood of Jesus. On the, on the cross, Jesus fought a war for us. He, he fought a war for you against Satan. And He delivered you from the eternal penalty of your, your own sin. He did that for you. He won that victory over the devil through His cross and empty tomb. So that you won't have to be judged for your sin. All that sin. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Romans 8.1 on the cross, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. If you have Jesus, you're not going to stand at this great white judgment seat because your sins have already been judged in Jesus. But for those without Christ, all they have, all they have in their favor are works in this life. And the truth is that no one has enough good works to merit entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So standing before the Lord Jesus, whom they rejected, each person will have his life revealed. All the good and all the bad, and it's going to be very embarrassing. And then the book of life will be opened. The book containing all those who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord. 14 and 15. And then death and hell were cast into the lake of the second death. And listen to this. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Why did death and hell and the sea and all have to give up the dead? Because just like we had, remember, we, have, we were risen with glorified bodies. You know, our spirits had to put on bodies again. All right? Hell's like a spiritual place. It's a jail now. And the spirits are in torment of people who reject Jesus. But there's coming a day when hell's going to be cast into the lake of fire, the jail becomes part, is thrown into the prison, and people are going to be raised, and they're going to put on some bodies that will burn forever. That's what this is about. With every opportunity for redemption expired, all that's left is the final sensing of the lost. Just as those who were resurrected with Christ at His coming received those glorified supernatural bodies suited for the kingdom, so the evil dead, those who reject Christ, are resurrected with a body suited for eternal punishment in a lake of fire. And also, death is gone. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire because, you see, after this, there'll be no more death. God will make a new heaven and a new earth to take the place of the first one, which will become the final place of rest for the people of God. That's how we'll end Revelation next week. So what should we do with the knowledge of the kingdom? We should share it. There's a real world out there in which faith in Christ is missing. In fact, the knowledge of Christ is missing today, folks. The faith which made our nation great is not being mentioned any longer. Children are not being taught about the faith of those who signed their names to a document which cost them greatly. 
the document, the declaration, which said, let's read it together. Ready? Pull it up. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all a political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And who did they seek? The supreme judge of the world. Fifty-six men signed the declaration. And when they signed it, they knew they would become fugitives from the law of the British crown. Still, they signed this document because they believed America should be a free nation. They believed God wanted this. They believed God wanted them to be a free nation, and that's why they risked everything for it. And when they eventually won a revolutionary war, they constructed a constitution. And the very first amendment to that constitution protected our freedom to believe in and worship Almighty God. It still does. And that's why you and I need to take advantage of this opportunity to help others truly be free. Free from the terrible penalty that's awaiting those who forsake Jesus. The King is coming, folks. The King is coming. The Kingdom is coming. And now is the time to get ready for it before the rapture and the first resurrection of Christ's people. Revelation 26. Read it with me. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. Christian, that's you. That's you. Hallelujah. A family was down fishing at a small pier one day. and The dad, the dad was busy watching the rods while his two sons, a 12-year-old and a 3-year-old, were down playing along the dock. The 12-year-old was supposed to be watching his little brother, but of course he got distracted and the three-year-old named Billy thought it'd be a good time to see if he could reach the bottom of the water. So he reached down his little arm over the pier, and just a little further and a little further, he lost his balance and he fell into the water, which was about six feet deep. The splash alerted the 12-year-old brother who screamed for help, and Dad came running from the end of the pier, jumped into the water, swam down, but he was unable to see anything. It was too murky. came up for air. Sick with panic, he went back down to the murky water. He began to feel everywhere around the bottom. He couldn't feel anything. He had to come back up for air. On his way up, though, he felt little Billy's arms locked in a death grip on one of the posts of the dock about four feet under the water, prying his little fingers loose. They both broke the surface of the water and filled their lungs with air. After about five minutes of holding each other and sobbing, and the nerves calmed down a little bit. The dad asked his son, Billy, what on earth were you doing down there hanging on to the post so far under the water? And little, little Billy answered in a three-year-old matter-of-fact way and said, Daddy, I was just waiting for you. I was just waiting for you. Church, today as we celebrate our nation's independence, 
We also celebrate that 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe left the glory and splendor of heaven, a place where there was no pain and no sickness, no accidents, no hurt, and no death. He left it all to set us free, to grab hold of us and rescue us. He plunged into this dark, gloomy world on a rescue mission, a rescue mission for all who are drowning, a rescue mission for all who are barely hanging on, a rescue mission for all who are lost in the darkness, and the great news is that He's coming again. And we need to be ready. Making sure we have a personal relationship with Jesus. But we also need to remember that Jesus fought three wars for us folks. Not one, but three. One on the cross, one at the battle of Armageddon, and another one when Satan surrounds the camp, your camp. And every time you didn't have to fight a battle, you didn't have to lift a finger or a sword, every time it was Jesus who won the battle for you. And the question is, so what are you doing for Him? Let's bow. What are you doing to honor your Savior who fought a battle in the past and will fight to in the future for you to rescue you? Well, what are you doing now? Now's the only time you have right now. And right now the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. He speaks to each one of us and He tells us what He wants us to do. And the question is, what do you need to do? Do you need to receive Jesus as your Savior? As the King of your life, pray with me and mean it with all your heart and say, Jesus, I admit, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I have left you out of my life. I'm headed for a terrible place. Jesus, please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Right now, Jesus... I give you my heart and my life. I accept you into my life as my Savior. I want you to rule on the throne of my life forever. I haven't been doing anything for you, Jesus, but I'm going to start. You're my king now. And I don't ever want to live another moment without you. So right now, Jesus, I confess, you're my Lord and my Savior. You're my king, and I will follow you. Boy, if you meant that prayer, folks, that's a powerful thing. Transformation took place today. Jesus came into your heart. You need to start living for Him. Maybe you're a Christian, but you realize you're not honoring Jesus. You're doing nothing for Him as of all, for all He's done for you. And that's how you repay Him. It's time to start doing what you're supposed to do. And only you and Jesus know that. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, whatever you've told us to do, each one of us. It's a personal salvation and a personal relationship, but I know this, that everybody has to be doing something to honor you. And God, I pray, if we're not, and I pray that we will have, a, like that song said, that we'll have a fire lit in our soul until we do the right thing and follow our King and let the world know. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing together, Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Savior and Lord of my life, my hope, my glory, my all. 
Wonderful Master, in joy and in strife, on him you too may call. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of my thoughts and my service each day, Jesus is Lord of all. Blessed Redeemer, all glorious King, worthy of reverence I pay. Tribute and praises I joyfully bring.